If you would turn with me in uh, your copy of God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. My goal and my hope this morning as we enter into this week leading up to Easter is very simple. And that is to remind you and to equip us together with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we might receive it, that we might believe it, that we might proclaim it as the good news of Christ the King and his kingdom. Now, for me to say that, for some of you, it may sound like a professor saying to a class of graduate students, today we're going to go over the ABCs. You know and understand the gospel well, and much of this may be very familiar. For some of you, it may bring a sense of of anticipation and, and peaked interest, like a teacher bringing up a subject of which you have some knowledge, but you actually want to know more. You actually want to, uh, to understand it better. And for others, the idea of the gospel might actually come across like the first days in a foreign language class. You might recognize some of the words. You might even be able to say what it is, but you really don't understand what's being talked about. And it really doesn't have much meaning for you personally. Well, whichever of those groups you might consider yourself in, or even if you are somewhere in between, God's word for us today through this passage in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth is, as he says, of first importance. It is foundational. Indeed, it is the foundational truth by which Christianity is defined and upon which our relationship with God rests and our our life with God is built and our eternal hope is secure, which is one reason that the Apostle Paul, after spending a great deal of this letter writing to Christians who were struggling to live out their, uh, live in a way that reflected what they believed and what was true of them as followers of Christ, he finds it important to remind them, to make known to them again the gospel. And he does so as a prelude to a, a broader discussion in this whole chapter uh, of this letter to the whole issue of the resurrection, which some in the church also had questions about. And that resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we remember and which we celebrate at this time of year at Easter, is the linchpin of the truth of the gospel. And without it, as we'll see next Sunday, the gospel is both empty of content and of power. And so Paul, in in preparing to discuss the resurrection, begins with a reminder of the utter centrality of the whole gospel The euangelion, as the Greek word which we translate uh, means and, and from which we get the term evangel, how central that is to our faith. And so as we prepare for Easter where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, it's good for us to have this reminder of the gospel as well. And so listen to God's word as I read it from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 beginning in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, 
that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, to, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And so whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and you believed. Father, would you come now and add your blessing and the illumination of your spirit to the reading and hearing and the teaching of your word. And Father, would you make your gospel the effective power of salvation to all of us who believe. Help us see it anew this morning, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to vary just a little bit from Pastor Kyle's uh, well-planned outline that's printed in your bulletin because I'm not going to preach the same sermon that he had planned to preach this morning, although I believe we'll touch on some of those very same questions. And from Paul's words here in this text, I want to, I want to try and answer uh, three questions about the gospel. What is it? What does it do? And who is it for? What is it? What does it do? And who is it for? Well, what is the gospel? Simply put, the gospel is, as I said to the kids, it is news. The word gospel literally means good news or glad tidings. And news is, is just, the definition of news is simply the telling or reporting of information about events or happenings that are deemed important or noteworthy. Good news is obviously information about events that is beneficial, that is profitable, that is, that is useful or helpful to the hearers. And again, if the doctor tells you you are healthy and that pain you've been concerned about is really nothing, that's good news. When your teacher tells you you got an A or your coach tells you you made the team, that's, that's good news. You will receive that, hopefully, as good news. But more specifically, in the ancient context, the gospel, this term euangelion, was, was public news announcing or proclaiming some sort of, of victory, some sort of deliverance, some sort of salvation, usually by a king or a ruler. It was particularly used in, the, in, in relation to the, to the Roman emperor cult, where Caesar was seen as the, the divine ruler, protecting and providing for his subjects, such that significant events in the, in the ruler's life were, were heralded by good tidings, by good news, and his accession to the throne was considered a gospel to his subjects. And so such news was celebrated with, with certain festivities, certain uh, proclamations accompanied with certain traditions and certain rituals. And so, so in general, a gospel is good news, and more specifically, it is a good news regarding salvation, regarding some victory, especially by a king or a ruler. 
And therefore, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem on, on the donkey, riding on a donkey, as was, as was uh, uh, typical of a king riding in, on, in, in peace into a, a city, the people awaiting and hoping for the promised deliverer, God's anointed king, welcomed him as a messenger by waving branches, by laying down their cloaks, by heralding the good news. Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And indeed, it is, it is this gospel, the gospel of the kingdom that is set against the, the proclamations that Caesar or any other earthly king might make that they are Lord, they are the victorious one. And Paul finds it important to recall and set before his readers, minds and hearts, once again, this truth. So how important is the news of the gospel? Well, Paul says in verse 3, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul says this is not just my opinion. This is not something that, that he made up or decided to, to teach. It's not just something he heard in a podcast or he saw and read in a post. It was news that he himself had received from the source, as we'll see in a moment, in which he passes on to others as of first importance. There are many important truths, there are many important lessons and insights to be gained from from God's word, but there is one particular truth that is preeminent, if you will, the one that comes before all the others. It is the bottom line, it is the foundation, it is the lead story, and that is this gospel. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul had been dealing with lots of different issues, and he's been, he's been seeking, as we've seen, to settle disagreements on, on various matters in the church, important matters. But there's one thing, he says, on which there can be no disagreement or division. One thing on which we as Christians, which we as Christians must believe, and one foundation on which we must all stand, and that is the good news. Some of us may remember Stephen Covey's book, First Things First. And if you haven't read the book, you've probably heard the famous illustration that he uses of life being like a jar. And, and the, the, the important things are, are uh, and, and things that are going on in our life being like rocks. And the important things in our life are the big rocks. And the, and the, the less important things are the smaller uh, rocks in our life. And he says, most of us fill up our jars first with lots of little rocks and then we, we try to put in the bigger rocks, the more important things, and fit them into our life, and they just don't fit. You got to start by putting in the, the big rocks first. And the biggest rock that we have in our lives is that which deals with eternal things, our relationship with God, that come, and that comes through understanding and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says back in chapter 3, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, namely Christ Jesus. He is the big rock. He is the foundation. Now how important is that to you? Is Jesus Christ just another little pebble in your life that you 
try to stick in on Sunday mornings if something, as long as there's not something else more important that comes up? Or is he the boulder on which all of your life is built and on which it rests? Is he just a blip on the radar screen of your life or is he the control tower from which and, and through which and around which everything else in your life is oriented? Every one of us here needs to know and every one of us here needs to be reminded that the good news of Jesus Christ is of first importance. Well, what is that news? Paul gives us in verses 3 through 6 what is perhaps the clearest and most straightforward description of the, the content of the gospel found anywhere in the Bible. He sums it up in four important events that make up the essential facts of this good news. And I say facts because these are real-life, historical, attestable events. He says first that Christ died. And he didn't die just any death. He died for a purpose. He died for our sins. And so essential to the gospel of Jesus Christ is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's been saying from the very beginning of the letter. We preach Christ and him crucified. And when the Bible says that Jesus died for our sins, it simply means that what we deserved, because we are sinners, which is death, Jesus took upon himself. God's justice calls for our sin to be punished, and Jesus' death on the cross bears and satisfies that punishment for us as sinners. And so Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And second, he says that Christ was buried. The fact of Jesus' burial is significant to the gospel. We've seen that in our study, if you've been with us in Foundations, where we, we're looking at the Apostles' Creed, and we, we claim that, that Jesus was not, only, not only died, but he was buried. And it's significant to the gospel for two reasons. One, it confirms his death. He didn't just faint. He didn't just pass out because of intense pain. He died. He was put in a grave where his body lay for three days. But secondly, Jesus' burial points to the fact that he was like us. He was like you and me. Jesus was able to die for our sins because he was fully God and therefore without sin. He didn't, he didn't deserve any punishment or wrath. But he was an acceptable substitute for us as sinners because he was like us. He came and, and lived and walked in the flesh. And he, he died in the flesh and was buried. Thirdly, Paul says, not only that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, but that Christ was raised on the third day. If the cross is essential to the gospel to show that Christ paid for our sins with his death, then the resurrection is equally essential to show that that payment has been satisfied and that it was accepted by God. And we'll talk more about the resurrection in the coming weeks. But suffice it to say that if you stop at Christ died for your sins, then the gospel is not really good news because you don't know whether that death really saves you or how that death saves you. But the resurrection demonstrates beyond a doubt that Christ has conquered death. He, he brings eternal life and brings eternal life and therefore 
We no longer need to fear death ourselves. Jesus is the first, Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of our resurrection. And it's the exclamation point on the good news of the gospel. So the gospel, the content of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that on the third third day he rose. And the fourth fact Paul gives serves to affirm the reality of the resurrection. Paul says that Christ appeared to many, including Peter, including the disciples. And then he says some 500 others at one time. Now, the Bible doesn't record this specific incident for us, but you can be assured that if 500 people saw something at the same time, the word got around pretty quickly. (laughs) And Paul reminds us many of these were still alive at that time and can testify to what they had seen. And so if anyone questioned what Peter or what James or what Thomas or even what what Paul said about the resurrection, they didn't have to look too far to find quite a few others who could corroborate the story. Why? Because it was true. (laughs) Jesus' appearance verified the veracity of the gospel. But it also serves as an affirmation to affirm the foundations of our faith. It is the testimony of these apostles and these eyewitnesses recorded for us in the gospel that is our common confession together as followers of Jesus in the body of Christ. And Paul assures us that this is not new news. It's not new news. The gospel and these events were revealed long before they happened This all happened according to what God had planned and what he had had spoken through the law and the prophets. These things were written about hundreds of years before they took place and in the scriptures. And they they have been attested to and recorded for us today even by many eyewitnesses. And so the gospel is this simple truth. Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, according to God's plan and purpose he was buried he rose on the third day according to the scriptures and he has appeared to many and he still appears to many today through the good news proclaimed and his spirit at work in the body of Christ his church the mystery is revealed in which we proclaimed is that Christ has died Christ is risen and Christ will come again That's the gospel, which leads us to the so what question or to ask, what does the gospel do? Or when someone gives you news, tells you about some important event or some great happening, usually you will have some response. You might just file it away as information and say, oh, that's that's good to know. You might say, oh, that sounds a little bit far-fetched. I maybe should go check that out and do a little bit more research and see if there's any truth behind this. Or you might say, wow, that's awesome. I need to do something about that. And you might take some action based on that news. Well, Paul reminds the Corinthians that he had come, he had preached the gospel, and they had received it. 
In other words, they had, they had responded. They had, they had taken it in. They had accepted it as their own. Back in chapter, the very first chapter of this letter, verse 4, he says to them, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. They had received the grace of God. And where did it come from? Jesus Christ. And how did they receive it? Through the gospel which Paul preached and which the Corinthians believed. The gospel is the means by which God brings us into, into communication and communion with his saving grace that is found in Christ alone. Elsewhere, in the book of Romans, Paul defines the gospel as this. It is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And then in Romans 10, 13, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he goes on to say, well, how can they call on him in whom they haven't believed? And how can they believe in him in whom they haven't heard? And how can they hear unless someone goes and proclaims the good news to them? So the gospel is the power of salvation through the proclaiming and hearing and believing in the name of Jesus. It brings us into contact and into communion with the one who saves us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Now notice Paul points to the past, present, and future work of the gospel in the lives of the Corinthian believers. He says, it is the gospel which you received. At some point in the past, they had heard the gospel from Paul. And yes, by the Spirit's work, they had understood it. They had trusted that truth of what he was saying. And so there is a, a receiving that is simply saying, yes, this is true. Yes, I believe this. I embrace it. I entrust my life and my soul to Jesus alone who died and rose again for me. And then he says, it is the gospel not only that you received, but in which you stand. Believing the gospel is not just a, a past event we had to do one time when we, when we make a profession or something of that sort. It is a current reality in which we now live. It is the gospel that assures us that, that we belong to God. That we have access into his presence and power in our lives. That we are accepted by him, not because of anything that we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. It is the gospel that, that dispels our fears, that removes our guilt, that, that, that calms our anxieties, that, that takes away our stress and despair. And as well, it is the gospel that guards us against pride and self-reliance. It is God's truth that we trust and we obey to guide and guard our life, body and soul. And so Paul says, you received it and you stand in it. And then he says, it is the gospel by which you are now being saved. In other words, the gospel is not only past assurance, it's not only a present guarantee of God's grace, but it's also our future hope. It is that which enables us to run the race with endurance, to rejoice in the sufferings of this life, to rest in the sure hope that Jesus has paid it all and that he will bring us home to glory with him. So you might think of the gospel like this. 
It's the life ring which God throws to us and rescues us from the raging sea of his wrath for sin. It is the ship in which we are now journeying through this life to safe harbors in heaven. And it is the navigation system, the charts and the GPS and everything else by which we are guided to that destination. Now what does Paul mean when he says, if you continue to hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Is he saying it's up to us to to maintain our salvation? Well, not exactly. It is only God's grace that enables us to hear and to believe the gospel. It is only God's grace in Christ that enables us to stand and to continue in the gospel. He rescues us. He sustains us. He guides us. However, our salvation is proved true. It is is authenticated, if you will. It is tested and its reality is revealed by our holding fast to this truth and to this one who is the truth. If someone throws you a life ring, what do you do? You hold fast. You don't let go. It's not your holding on that's saving you. It's the the life ring that's saving you. But you holding on reveals that you, your, your, your hope is not in vain. And we, we reveal that by clinging tightly to the truth of the gospel to the very end. And so Paul points to the practical outworking of that truth over in verse 10 when he says, It is by grace that I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. I held on fast to this truth, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. See, Paul gives God all the credit. It was and is and always will be God's grace at work in your and my and in anybody's life through the gospel. But that is proven true by how we live our lives in line with the gospel, by how we cling to that truth and let it guide and direct and comfort and do its work of grace. Paul preached with passion, with fervor. He never let up. He ran the race with perseverance, lest he be disqualified. And you know, it's easy to get sidetracked in the Christian life. It's easy to begin to to swerve off the the road into the ditch of, of legalism, which says we, we're saved by, by the things we do, the rules and regulations of the Bible, or to swerve off into license and think, well, God's grace frees us to do whatever we want. We're saved, and so we can live however we want. But the gospel reminds us that we're saved by grace alone for the purpose of glorifying God by living according to the gospel, the good news. And so Jesus is the agent of transformation for the believer and the gospel is the means by which he does his transforming work. When we believe the good news about Jesus, radical change happens. Our sins are forgiven. We are raised to new life with Jesus Christ. We are given eternal hope that is secure and we have truth to cling to in the rough seas and trials that we all face. And brothers and sisters, that is good news. That's good news. But the last question we have to ask ourselves is who is this good news for? 
Paul mentions several people or groups of people to whom Jesus appeared after he was raised from the dead. And he does this, again, primarily to point out, number one, the reality of the resurrection, as well as the, the community which the gospel produces and the foundation which we have together as followers of Christ. But I think it's helpful to see who those people are that Paul mentions here. He says, he appeared to Cephas, which, as I said before, is just another name for Peter. And you remember Peter, Jesus is probably Jesus' closest disciple, the one who was always right there by his side and, and proclaiming how, how fast he was holding to following his, his Lord. And yet the last time Peter saw Jesus alive, remember what that was? He was denying vehemently that he even knew him. He abandoned Jesus in his hour of greatest need. Indeed, all of the disciples did. And then he mentions James, Jesus' own brother here, who during his lifetime refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. His very own brother, skeptical, perhaps even a bit cynical and hostile towards Jesus. And then there were the groups, the 12 disciples, prideful James and John, whose, whose mom was coming hoping to get them the best seats in the house in the kingdom. Thomas, who, who doubted and, and would not believe that Jesus was risen from the dead until he actually stuck his finger in his wounds. And then some 500 others, many women and men from all different walks of life, notorious center, sinners, deathly ill and sick, socially despised, who had all likely been forgiven, healed, and set free by Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, lastly, he appeared to me as one untimely born. That's kind of a strange phrase for Paul to use because it's a Greek term used to refer to, to a stillborn child or to an aborted fetus. It's not exactly clear why Paul refers to himself this way, but in the context, it appears he's using the term to point to his being an object of rejection, of total unworthiness. Why? Well, he tells us, I persecuted the church. See, Paul was not a follower of Jesus when Jesus lived. Indeed, he did not spend three years in his presence or under his teaching, but rather he was Jesus' number one enemy. He zealously pursued Christians. He watched approvingly as, as Stephen was stoned to death for his faith. He went around with warrants seeking to have Christians arrested and thrown into prison. He wanted nothing more than to silence the gospel and make a shipwreck of the faith. But as he was on his way to, to tighten his, his grip around the neck of another group of believers, suddenly Jesus tightened his grip on Paul. He met the resurrected Jesus, and by God's grace, his entire life was changed. He went from being a persecutor to a preacher, an apostle, from, from an enemy to an ally of Jesus Christ. He went from being aborted to being adopted as God's child. Now, how did that happen? By the grace of God, through the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus appeared to Paul and his eyes were open to the truth that Jesus died for his sins, that Jesus was buried and raised again on the third day in order that Paul might be saved and become the chief messenger of the gospel to the Gentiles. So who is the gospel for? It's for unfaithful friends like Peter. It's for cynical, scoffing family members like James. It's for skeptical doubters like Thomas. It's for people from every walk of life suffering from every condition you can imagine. It's for arch enemies like Paul. The gospel knows no boundaries when it comes to people. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what you do or what you have done. It doesn't matter if you've served on the board of the local hospital or if you've served time in prison. It's not a function of racial or cultural or social or economic or educational background. It is for all who will receive it. But you have to receive it. You have to receive it. And how is it received? By faith. By hearing by believing to all who received him to those who believe in his name John writes he gives the right to become children of God but believing is not just intellectual assent it's not just saying oh yeah I know that happened back then and yeah I believe it's true believing is a faithful commitment to a crucified life In the gospel, Jesus bids you and me to take up our cross and to follow him. The gospel bids us come and die that you might live. And in living, we become heralds of that good news. Gospel witnesses, ambassadors to the king of kings. And you know, the more I look at my own life, the more I, like Paul, am utterly amazed at God's grace to save someone like me. I continue to be amazed at the ongoing work of the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to any who will believe. And so the gospel is for any and all who will hear it, who will believe it, who will receive it by faith. Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again that you might know eternal life. Maybe you're here today and you've been in church a long time. But this is the first time you've heard what the gospel really is. What it does and, and that it's as much for you as it is for anyone else. Maybe this morning Jesus Christ by his spirit has appeared to you through the preaching and, and perhaps what you have been hearing or reading about the gospel elsewhere suddenly makes sense. And you want to receive it. You want to receive that gift of God. Well, it's freely offered this morning. If you'll renounce your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust your life to what he has done for you, the good news and the promise of the gospel is that you will be saved. And there's nothing else that could be more important than that, brothers and sisters. And for those of us here who have received this good news, who are walking in it, who are seeking to hold fast to it. Remember God's grace 
Not only in saving you from sin, but in continuing to sustain you and to sanctify you as you hold fast to the grace that is yours in Jesus Christ. Meditate. This week, (laughs) particularly, but daily meditate on the incredible, amazing, historical events of Jesus' Passion Week, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his appearances, and his ascension into heaven where he is now alive and ruling and reigning in us and by his spirit in the church. Take some time to read the different accounts of the, these events in the gospel. Ask God to give you fresh insight and to, to reveal his grace to you through Jesus even more clearly. And take some time to assess the importance of the gospel in your life right now. Where does it rank? Has your grip on the gospel slipped or loosened a bit such that it has become of secondary importance? Or is it of lessening impact in how you live your life? What are the the little rocks that need to be taken out of the jar in order to make room again for the thing of most importance, Jesus Christ and the good news. And lastly, how and to whom would you share that with? Think of one person right now. Just take a second. Think of one person right now that you know. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been just putting that person on your heart and you've been going, no, I don't want to talk to them. No, I really don't want to see them. Or eh. One person right now. Or maybe it's just somebody that that God brings to mind that by God's grace, he would have you pray for and proclaim the good news to. And then do it. (laughs) Do it. Deliver as of first importance that which you also received, that Christ died, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he has appeared to you and to millions of others who can testify to the power and the joy that is found in the gospel. And may God continue to reveal himself to our hearts and may we continue to hold fast to the truth of the gospel by God's grace in order that our faith may not be in vain. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for that which is of first importance. And that we do not need to guess about what that is. And that we do not need a seminary degree or a PhD or some kind of supernatural secret insight to understand what that is. It is very simple. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And your son Jesus came and he died for our sins. He was buried And he rose again on the third day that we might have eternal life, forgiveness. That we might know your grace day in and day out in every situation. And Father, if there are those who are hearing this for the first time or hearing it for the 5,000th time and it's just, again, ringing true, Father, will we give you all joy Will we receive it as those who received you coming into Jerusalem with shouts of praise? Hosanna, blessed are you who has come in the name of the Lord. 
And Lord, give us grace to go and proclaim it boldly. And to live it in a way that people would be drawn to it and would ask, what is the hope you have? And that we would be ready with an answer in the gospel. Amen.